me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. This little podcast is a safe space to talk about the movies we love, the good and the bad, acknowledging their issues and celebrating their successes with a healthy dose of nostalgia thrown in for good measure. And because I'm a librarian by day and don't need an excuse to talk books, at the end of our conversation, I'll give you a few book recommendations you might like if the movie sounds like your cup of tea. Before we dive into today's movie pick, 1980s Popeye, a quick ask if you like the podcast and want a free and super easy way to support what I do, please consider rating or reviewing the podcast wherever you listen. You can also just share the podcast with someone or some ones you know that you think might enjoy the fun as well. Word of mouth marketing. I would be ever so appreciative. What am I? I'm Popeye. Robin Williams, <laughs> Shelley Duvall, <laughs> in Popeye. So 1980s Popeye, I have been wanting to talk about this one for a while. It was not a movie that was on repeat in my house, not like Newsies was when I was growing up musical wise, but it was one I distinctly remember watching, especially with my parents who really enjoyed it. It was just something different, unique, not like you were, what you were seeing with movie musicals. And it was one of the first comic book adaptations, uh, which really just was before its time. And so I remember I was trying to think back about what I enjoyed so much about it when I was when I was a kid. And I the things that came to my mind were Shelley Duvall as Olive Oil. I believe that this woman was born to play this role. She not only looks like Olive Oil that you are familiar with in the cartoons, but her mannerisms, her voice, everything about her was just absolutely perfect about the role. And I remember watching years later, The Shining, because I am, as we have determined, I am not a horror lover. I sat down, I watched The Shining, and the whole time I'm watching it, I was like, Olive Oil needs to get out of this hotel. I don't like her in this vulnerable situation. Like she has always been and will always be olive oil to me. So I remember her. I remember being scared and intimidated by Bluto, this guy with this full beard kind of heavier set. He actually, in my brain, and 
kind of reminds me <laughs> of my doctor when I was a kid, um, who was not mean in any way. He was a very sweet man. Uh, my mother worked with him and he was very kind to us, but he just had that same, I don't even know if he had a beard, but in my head he had a mustache and a beard and he was just a bigger guy. And I remember being intimidated by Bluto. His presence, um, which you feel throughout the movie, is just intimidation all the way across. I remember loving Robin Williams, but not realizing it was Robin Williams. I did not know who he was at that time or who he'd become in pop culture, but I remember like liking him and how he kind of moved. Everything, his steps were kind of dancey. He was always kind of kicking and dancing along with it. And I remember wanting to live on the set. It was just the craziest, it's all wood structures and they look like they're tucked into the side of a cliff and there's water and it's actually beautiful, but the movie is also just like a lot of browns and grays and it just looked like a place you wanted to kind of go and explore. Maybe not live in, I guess, but I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to go through all the buildings. I wanted to walk the streets. I wanted to explore it. So that is what I remember, my nostalgic opinion about the movie, what I remember, really liking it um, and not minding when it came on the TV and I could watch it again. Popeye was directed by Robert Altman, five-time Academy Award winner for Best Director, or nominee, not winner, I'm sorry, <laughs> for Best Director. He is known for MASH, Nashville, The Long Goodbye, and Gosford Park, to just name a few of his movies. According to Wikipedia, the movie was designed as a vehicle to increase Altman's commercial clout following a series of critically acclaimed but commercially unsuccessful low-budget films in the late 70s, including, and I've not watched any of these, Three Women, A Wedding, and A Quintet. It sounds like four four weddings and a funeral, but it's three separate movies, three women, comma, a wedding, comma, and quintet. The production was filmed on location in Malta. It was soon beleaguered by heavy drug and alcohol use among most of the cast and crew, including the director himself. And Altman reportedly clashed with producer Robert Evans, Robin Williams, who threatened to leave the film, and songwriter Harry Nilsson, who departed midway through the shoot leaving somebody named Van Dyke Parks to finish the orchestration. The screenplay was written by Jules Pfeiffer. He was a Pulitzer Prize winner and Oscar-winning cartoonist. He's known as one of the most widely read satirists in the country and was inducted into the Comic Book Hall of Fame in 2004. I had no idea that was a thing. I mean, I think there's probably Hall of Fames for everything. Surely one day there will be a Librarian Hall of Fame, and I'm going to do my darndest to get in there, but... Who knew? I did not know that. He wrote the animated short Monroe, which won the Oscar for Best Animated Short Film in 1961. And that's when he began to write for the theater and film. He was commissioned by producer Robert Evans to write a script for Popeye in 1977. The movie starred the one, the only Robin Williams as Popeye, Shelley Duvall as Olive Oil, Ray Walston as Poop Deck Pappy, or the Commodore, um, Paul Dooley as Wimpy, and Paul L. Smith as Bluto. There's a lot of familiar faces as you watch. You spend half the time going, hey, I know that guy from something, or hey, I know that woman for something. And so you're constantly on your phone on IMDb trying to see what other projects that these actors have been in. So I highly recommend watching that and see how many different people that you can cats catch in the in the background it's really actually impressive how many people are in the the movie that you might recognize 
According to Wikipedia, Pfeiffer initially wanted Dustin Hoffman to play Popeye opposite Lily Tomlin as Olive Oil. Hoffman dropped out due to creative differences. It also noted that Gilda Radner's name was tossed around as well, but her manager was like, "Mm -mm, you don't want to take this part. (laughs) Apparently, Evans and Altman were kind of known for this erratic behavior and what Wikipedia called unorthodox creative methods. So he kind of kept her out of it, which maybe was a good idea if half the cast really wanted to leave halfway through the shoot. Um, I like the overall product, though, so I don't know. The film grossed $6 million on its opening weekend in the U.S., although the film grossed $60 million worldwide on a $20 million budget and was the second highest grossing film Altman had directed to that point. They didn't it wasn't considered a studio success. It didn't meet studio expectations. And so they kind of thought of it as a box office disappointment. It would later go on to have a very lucrative home video run though. So maybe not quite the disappointment they thought. It was released on December 6th, 1980. Also releasing that month was Superman 2, Flash Gordon, Stir Crazy, and 9 to 5. The highest Grossing films of 1980, number one, top of the box office was The Empire Strikes Back. Not surprising. Number two was Nine to Five. You go, Dolly Parton. I love you. Three was Stir Crazy. Four was Airplane. Five was Any Which Way You Can. Six, Private Benjamin. Seven, Coal Miner's Daughter. Or that's seven. Yeah. Eight, (laughs) Smokey and the Bandit 2. Nine, The Blue Lagoon. And 10, The Blues Brothers. So some classics in there. A lot that I have seen. There's just a couple. I have not seen Stir Crazy and I have not seen Any Which Way You Can. So I might have to look those up. The reviews weren't great for Popeye unsurprisingly. It holds a 58% on the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, that is the um, critic score, so it's not considered certified fresh and only a 39% audience score. But it has been more positively reviewed over time. People, it's kind of one of those cult classic movies that once you've seen it and you talk about it, it's kind of build momentum after the fact. Roger Ebert gave the film three and a half out of four stars, writing that Duvall was born to play olive oil. Completely agree. And with Popeye, Altman had proved it is possible to take the broad strokes of a comic strip and turn them into sophisticated entertainment. Again, this movie is well beyond its time. Gene Siskel also gave it three and a half out of four stars, writing that the first 30 minutes were tedious and totally without a point of view. But once Sweet Pea was introduced into the film, then it became quite entertaining and in a few scenes, very special. Richard Combs of the Monthly Film Bulletin wrote, in its own idiosyncratic fashion, it works. So there were some good thoughts about the movie too, which I was really excited to see. It's one that I don't think a lot of people, especially my age, have seen unless you have parents that introduced you to it. Um, When you kind of look at a list of movie musicals, it does pop up in the 80s, but it's not the type of musical you think of. And there are quite a few songs in the movie, really. And now a breakdown of the summary by act. A summary in three parts. We've got act one, the setup, act two, rising action, and act three, the resolution. We're looking at the movie through the lens of storytelling. So the setup, act one. The movie starts with the arrival of Popeye to the village of Sweet Haven. He sails into town in a little dinghy boat (laughs) that is immediately met by this man on a tricycle uh, who wants to tax him for everything. 
parking the said dinghy at the dock, being new in town, asking a question. It's pretty apparent really early on that Sweet Haven isn't really a happy place to live. That theme continues as Popeye walks through the town singing, I am what I am, looking for a room to rent. Uh, the villagers kind of run and they hide and they don't talk to him and they slam their doors and they put clothes signs everywhere. Um, so being an outsider is rough in the, the village of Sweet Haven. And that's kind of the hook of the story, in my opinion. An outsider comes to Sweet Haven, what will happen next? He's finally taken in by the oil family and is given a Rundown room has cobwebs everywhere and is hassled by the daughter of the house, one olive oil, who is complaining about wearing an ugly hat to her engagement party. She's set to marry Bluto, the man who kind of rules almost like the mayor, but they don't call him the mayor of Sweet Haven. And he's kind of ruling with an iron fist. He's the one collecting all these taxes. He's doing it in the Commodore's stead. We don't know who the Commodore is, but we know that the Commodore does not seem to be in town and Bluto is kind of running the place. The next scene is just kind of world building. Popeye is at a local restaurant the next day. He's trying to eat a hamburger, <laughs> a, the burger he never gets to eat because Wimpy, perpetually hungry, takes it. You might remember Wimpy from the comics and the cartoons. He's got like a bowler hat and he's always eating. He always wants a hamburger. Um, and he even sings a song about food in this scene. Uh, so then Popeye gets bullied by some kind of tough guys and the villagers starting to start to batten down the hatches. They seem to be very used to this. Like one woman gets into a cage in, in the diner. It's a weird, um, they start like leaving immediately. Um, they put up like walls almost so that they can't get hit by stuff. So this seems to happen quite a bit. A scuffle starts and Popeye easily takes care of the guys because he's Popeye the Sailor Man with his giant forearms and uber strength. Uh, that evening, we get my favorite song in the whole movie. It's, it's called He's Large. Um, so Olive Oil's friends are getting her ready for the engagement party. And so they're walking around and she's singing about Bluto and um, how she feels so lucky to be marrying him. And she keeps going, and he's large. <laughs> It's just my favorite song. It comes into my head a lot in everyday life. I don't know why, it just does. And so as she's singing the song, though, you realize she is not really happy to be marrying Bluto. She's actually sneakily packing a bag so that she can get out of Dodge. Um, and her friends, she's trying to do it so her friends can't see. Meanwhile, Bluto is downstairs awaiting her rub her arrival and everybody because he's Bluto is kind of intimidated by him and he's got a flower and he's picking off the petals and he's like she'll marry me she won't marry me and every time he says she won't marry me everybody gets kind of scared and moves to the periphery of the room to kind of get away from him um, so that is going on downstairs meanwhile olive oil has now snuck out a window and is rushing down to the docks to kind of get away where she stumbles upon Popeye who'd been hanging out down there and they talk for a bit and that's where we learn this part this seems really to learn that Popeye's in town looking for his last lost pappy he's heard he kind of has come through this way and he's hoping to find him then Popeye and Olive Oil discover a basket with a baby in it, and they end up returning to the party. They know they're not going to be able to leave with this baby, so they walk back up to the house, only to find that Bluto is furious. He sings a song called I'm a Mean, literally blows a gasket, and storms out of the house. And that ends Act One.
So we have olive oil who has broken Bluto's heart, which is kind of, um, I would say almost the inciting event of the act. And then finding sweet beet as the key event, that both things kind of moving everything in motion. It's a little bit of a slow start. If you do decide to watch this, just know that the first 20 minutes or so are my favorite parts of the movie, but it's also a little a little slow. It's a lot of world building and character development. This isn't a fast-paced, high-octane movie musical. This is not The Greatest Showman. <laughs> it's a subtle musical almost um, that's really about atmosphere more than anything else. But now we're on to act two, the rising action. So the peeved Bluto ends up taxing the daylights out of the oil family, leaving them basically destitute. Somebody comes in and is taking furniture away and everything, even takes the windows away, the glass. And so Olive's brother decides to enter a boxing match to try to win prize money to help his family out. The family finds out about this. They go rushing after him and they quickly discover that he's no match for the opponent. So Popeye hops into the ring in his stead, making quick work of the giant boxer and endearing himself to the family, especially Olive Oil. The two are starting to build a connection as they decide to raise Sweet Pea together, sort of. They kind of argue he wants the baby to become a sailor like him, so he wants to take him out into the open sea. Um, Olive talks more about him becoming a gardener. <laughs> she wants she wants to build a life, build roots with the baby there. So they do argue about that a little bit. And then within the scene, Olive announces that she believes the baby is clairvoyant. So apparently at the boxing match, she was asked, she was nervous, worried about Popeye. And she started to ask the baby random questions like, is he going to be maimed? And the baby would kind of shake his head. And um, is he going to be hurt beyond repair? And the baby kind of shakes his head. And then she goes, is he going to be okay? And the baby whistles. And the baby was right. So she thinks this baby's clairvoyant. Well, Wimpy, who lives with the family at the boarding house, hears this and is like, hey, I'm going to see if this works. So he decides to take the baby for a walk and ends up taking him to a gambling den where it has, it's like horse races, but it's fake horse races. It's like the metal horse races, if that makes sense. I don't know. Um, and so he has the baby pick out the horses and he's starting to win money. And the oil family and Popeye go rush to save the kid. But then kind of get wrapped up in this gift as well, except for Popeye. He's not too happy about it. So Olive Oil ends up kind of insulting Popeye. He sings a slower version of I'm Popeye the Sailor Man, and he ends up taking Sweet Pea and leaves. He sets up a camp for them on the dock. Like they sleep in um, hammocks and he's got this, you know, he's made a little home for him down there. And the tax man has come and he's ready to tax him out the wazoo again. And um, he gets upset. He's like, I'm not paying you any more taxes. And he accidentally kind of forces the tax man to stumble and falls into the water. Well, the townspeople think this is great. Somebody's finally stopped the tax man from picking on him. And in the commotion, Bluto ends up kidnapping Sweet Pea after forcing Wimpy to tell him about the clairvoyant gift. Um, Bluto runs the gambling den and he saw what was happening Wimpy tells him what's going on, so Bluto decides to kidnap him. And so this breaks Popeye's heart, and seeing his heartache and how much he cares for this baby, Olive Oil realizes she's in love with him. Um, she sings another great song that I love, He Needs Me. It's really cute. 
So the next morning, she overhears Wimpy muttering about Sweepy. And she's like, Sweepy? You mentioned Sweepy? And she gets all excited. And so the two end up tracking the baby down to a building on the edge of the village where they see Bluto and the Commodore that they thought was not in town. Bluto decides then at this point, because um, the Commodore is talking and about how much he rules the town and he's in charge and all of this. And Bluto gets upset and he decides to mutiny of sorts and ties up the Commodore and takes Sweet Pea away again. So Olive Oil and Wimpy go looking for Popeye for help. They can't, he can't believe his luck uh, that they found the baby and his father and he rushes in to rescue them. And that ends act two. So it's a little bit faster of of an act. Um, I think the biggest actually act of the movie is act one, which you don't typically have. Usually act two is the heart, the meat of the story as it builds plot. But it takes a little while for us to get to the end of act one where that inciting incident of Sweet Pea arriving actually happens. But on to act three, the resolution. So when Popeye was untying his father, he rushes into where the Commodore is being held. Um, he's untying him and they're arguing about, well, first the Commodore is like, you're not my son. I don't have a son. And he's going on and he goes, wait, I know how to prove you're not my son because the Commodore loves spinach and Popeye doesn't. So he's trying to get Popeye to eat spinach and he's like, no. Um, so as that's happening, Bluto grabs olive oil too and hops on a boat with her and Sweet Pea and leaves Sweet Haven. The Commodore, the oil family, who is now in an uproar, and Popeye rush after them on their own. I don't even want to call it a boat. It's like a, I guess it's more like a houseboat. <laughs> it's not a boat in the common sense. They go rushing after Bluto, and they follow him to Pirate's Cove. And there, they, um, there ends up being a sword fight between Bluto and Popeye. The Commodore saves Sweet Pea from being attacked by an octopus and then finds his hidden treasure, which are just mementos of Popeye, which is really kind of sweet. Bluto gets the best of Popeye, wraps an anchor around his neck, and is about to let him like sink into the depths of the ocean when the Commodore tosses Popeye a can of spinach to eat. Um, and he's like, I'm not eating it. I don't like to eat it. So Bluto decides, hey, I'll just continue to torture this man. And he opens the can and forces spinach into his mouth and then dunks him into the water. And that does the trick. Um, he sends Bluto swimming into open water with one punch. And then he ends up punching the octopus who is now going after olive oil. And he saves the day. It's kind of anticlimactic, if I'm being honest. Um, there was just there wasn't a whole lot of build up to that final scene. But we get one last rendition of Popeye the Sailor Man. We get to see Robin Williams kind of dancing, which is a lot of fun, uh, before the credits roll. And that was the end of the movie. It's pretty fast. I liked it. That was a good summary, I think. So a few interesting tidbits. Most of Popeye's lines were discovered to be inaudible once filming wrapped. He does a lot of mumbling under his breath. And if you put the captions on, you get to catch what he's saying. And that's kind of where some of the best lines are. Um, so he, Robin Williams actually had to read down much of the dialogue. This was Robin Williams's first starring role in a movie. The set, this is my favorite, the set for the small town of Sweet Haven was built at Anchor Bay on the Mediterranean island of Malta. After filming, it became a populous tourist destination. And you can, they have a whole website and it's called um, Popeye's Village. And it looks like they have uh, water slides and all of this other stuff. And you get to run around the island. And 
just I love that they kept it up. They said that they actually built more than they needed in the town. Um, that was where a bulk of the budget went to was building the town of Sweet Haven. Many of the citizens of Sweet Haven, especially those who had to do some physical gags, were recruited from European cruise lines. Sweet Pea is played by Wesley Ivan Hurt, Robert Altman's grandson. He has a lot of facial expression in the movie. It's really cute. Paramount greenlit this film after losing a bidding war for the screen rights to Annie, which came out in 1982, if you remember from when we talked about that before. Producer Robert Evans called an executive meeting and asked about comic strip characters they had the rights to already so that they could be used in a movie musical. And one attendee just was like, Popeye. And he's like, okay. And that's how the whole idea of the movie started. Jack Mercer, Popeye's most well-known and prolific voice actor, provides the voice of Popeye in the animated introduction. It would prove to be his final voice role before his death in 1984. So that's all of our interesting tidbits. So the big questions, would I survive in this movie? You know what? I don't think I would. I don't, as much as I love the set itself of Sweet Haven, I would not want to live there. Um, I would not want to be forced to marry a man because that's what it seemed like for olive oil. Everybody is really angry and upset. Um, they just, there's not a whole lot to do in that town and you, it just kind of feels like you'd be stuck. So I, I'm going to say, would I live? Probably. Would I thrive? No. Would I want to just jump in the ocean and try to swim away and thus get killed by a shark? Yes. That's probably how it would end up. Is this movie believable? Um, it's a story about a hapless sailor who eats spinach and becomes super strong. <laughs> so maybe not so much. But here's what I love about this film the characters. Um, it, it stays fairly true to the original, maybe not so much the cartoons as we know them, but the original cartoon strips of the Popeye story. Um, but Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall are just absolutely excellent in their roles. And like I said, you get to see so many other character actors that you've seen in so many other things pop up. Um, so it, it really... The characters make it and the set makes it. Um, the story is weak in moments, um, but the music is fun. I really enjoy a lot of the songs. Again, they're not the big show-stopping numbers that you see in a lot of movie musicals, um, but it, there's a sweetness to this movie that I think does make it believable about maybe people who are backed into a corner living under a regime that they don't agree with, that um, they feel pressed down upon because of, and uh, they're looking for hope and they weirdly find hope in a sailor who is an outsider that just stops into town looking for his father. So uh, we're going to say yes. You know, it, it it's believable. I think it's believable. Does this movie hold up? I'm going to argue that it does. It was, like I said, way ahead of its time for film. It honors and respects the original IP. It kind of modernizes it and makes it fun. I feel like this is definitely one of those more underappreciated musicals of the 1980s. Is it perfect? No. Some scenes run way long and it's just not as tidy of storytelling as you would like. I don't actually think you get enough Bluto. As much as he kind of scares me, you get him at the engagement party and then you get moments of him in the background growling so you kind of know he's always there and it's like this menacing feeling but you don't get a lot from him you don't what is his motivation you don't know his motivation um, but the actors and the roles were perfect and the tone and atmosphere of the movie is just spot on
Which prop would I like if I was starting a random museum of pop culture history? This one is kind of hard because my heart tells me a can of spinach. That makes sense. There's also a rattle that Sweepy has that uh, Popeye is always trying to give him. One thing that was so very unique in the in the wardrobe, the costuming, is the shoes. Both olive oil and Popeye, they have very distinct, it's not a regular shoe. It's like a thicker shoe that, especially at the toe, is rounded, so it really fits the cartoon, um, the comic strip, the way it's drawn, I think I would almost want a pair of those shoes or one of Olive Oil's ugly hats that she was so upset about wearing. Um, So we're going to go with the costume element. I think I want the shoes. I want the shoes. (laughs) And now for the last item of the podcast, the book recommendation. I thought it'd be fun to recommend some of my favorite graphic novels to stick with the comic book theme for today. First up, I have um, I Hate Fairyland by Scotty Young, about a 40-year-old woman who is in a six-year-old's body who has been stuck in the magical world of fairyland for nearly 30 years. She's understandably upset, understandably goes a little insane, and will do just about anything to find her way out of fairyland. It's very violent, heads up, and has a decent amount of salty language, but it is hilariously illustrated. It's easy to empathize with the deranged character. um, And you can understand why she's insane because she was forced to live in such weird and kooky circumstances, especially as a grown woman in the body of a six-year-old. I love Scotty Young. Some of his artwork is some of my favorites in graphic novels. Next up is Paper Girls by Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang. It's also a TV adaptation. I think it's on Amazon Prime, if I remember correctly. So if you have seen that, it is based on a graphic novel. It follows the story of four 12-year-old newspaper delivery girls. Um, They're out delivering papers on the morning after Halloween. This is set in kind of the 80s when the town is struck by an invasion from a mysterious force from the future. The girls become unwillingly caught up in the conflict and kind of sent through time. It definitely has Stranger Things vibes, but I love the focus on female protagonists and Brian K. Vaughn is one of my absolute favorite storytellers with graphic novels. I love his writing. And finally, because I had to do three, (laughs) one that's not super violent or salty, from another of my all-time favorite graphic novel storytellers, Descender by Jeff Lemire, Dustin Nguyen, and Steve Wands. I love a lot of Jeff Lemire's stuff. It's about a young robot named Tim21 that wakes up after many years to a whole new galaxy where androids have been outlawed, along with a host of new friends. He has to learn to survive in a time where robots are not only feared, but hated. It's great science fiction, which is maybe my favorite literary genre, I think, is science fiction. It's full of heart, and the artwork is beautiful. I highly recommend it. You should absolutely head to your local library, get a library card if you don't have one already, and check out the graphic novel collection. And with that... That is all for today, dear listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so that we can keep going on this journey together. You can follow me on Instagram at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as A Bit of Fun with Emily. So have yourself a bit of fun today, and I will see you next time.